0: Um, but that was the one time where dad didn't go to work. There were no lawns to be mowed, no laundry to be washed. Um, it was just us together playing Monopoly, doing fires, making s'mores. And those are some of the best memories of my life, just being with family. And um, now that I'm a, I'm a dad, um, some of my best memories with my kids and my family and extended family are just camping because, like, you know, all the normal pressures of everyday work life are gone. There's other work to be done when you're camping, but, um, but those everyday things that we typically do... Um, when we're home and we're living in our house, uh, aren't there. And uh, that was kind of how it was up there. We got time to spend, you saw some of the pictures of people just hanging out and just being able to talk. You know, people are a little bit more themselves when you're camping. Um, Less makeup. um, Hair doesn't always come out looking perfect, except for those of us who, you know, have perfect heads. And uh, smelling like campfire or worse after a couple days without showers, just everybody's kind of themselves, and um, it is is a good time to just be together. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning, Um, not camping, I want to talk about the heart of what's the best part about camping, namely community life, or what it means to be a family, um, which is massively important to the Bible, it's massively important to the cross of Jesus, massively important to the purpose for which he's come. So um, we want to explore that this morning with you. If you're new with us, um, what we've been doing over the past weeks, with the exception of when Nick Fisher last week brought the word, was um, looking at what, is, what a healthy, vibrant church looks like. A church um, that has life in it. And um, the very first Sunday, we kind of talked about four things, an overview, and then we we spent the uh, subsequent two Sundays kind of going a little bit deeper into the first two, which is we believe a healthy, vibrant church where there's life is a church that that is fearless in its worship, and by that mean a Christ-centered worship that worships God in biblically informed ways. Um, the second one was was uh, we desire to be a church that's passionate about um, getting the gospel into people's lives, that is education, um, so people know both the content and also how to apply the gospel to their marriages and families and their work life and different things. That was part two. And This morning, we come to an equally important part, and that is um, this thing called the community of faith or the family. And by community, I, I want to clarify something. I'm not talking about the community of Fairfield. I'm talking about In this message, I'm talking about the community of faith, believers that are gathered together as one family, that identify themselves as a church family. That's what I want to talk about. And to do that, I want to reflect on on, um, the earliest record of the ancient church, which most of you know well, is in the book of Acts. It is the first um record of what the ancient church did after pentecost and so i want to invite you if you have your bible to turn to acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 acts 2 42 through 47 i want to tell you i'm going to go and um, do two things this morning Um, one i want to lay the foundation of christian community that is the family family life that's the foundation um I firmly believe that simply to give people um, a list of to-dos without properly um, footing it or rooting it in, in the gospel or what God has done in Christ and through the Spirit um, would leave us detached from a foundation. So I want to lay the foundation briefly, and then I want to talk about what community life looks like or or what you might consider to be central ingredients to it um, from Acts chapter two forty-two through 47. First, in terms of the um, foundation... I, I can't resist, and um, I don't mean to insult anybody's in- intelligence in here, but the best, in my opinion, the best toy ever created by mankind. Ever. Capable of endless possibilities of creation that appeals not only to three year olds, but also men who are 92 who have a three year old heart. Um, I have spent time um, with my son um, playing this for hours and is an adult it 's just you never get an, uh, enough of it and you know you know what that one toy is it 's timeless and yet so simple Legos. It, yeah it 's definitely not the cell phone, but uh, uh it 's Legos yeah you can tell you know and um they say that sometimes an image uh, is is stronger than a, a thousand words. And so just bear with me. I want you to think of a Lego during this message, okay? And at the end of the time, when you see a Lego 10 years from now, go, oh, yeah, that's right. That's what that means, right? Maybe there's some spiritual application to this. But, you know, in one respect, like a Lego is, is just, it's not all that impressive. It's just a little square with bumps on the one side and holes on the other, right? It's just, it's really simple. Um, but they come in all shapes and sizes and colors. I have green and Gray and blue and yellow and and this is just a s- small sample of the colors that I have my kids have at home in these big tubs and you know when I was a kid they really only had square ones and slightly um, slanted ones now they have them in uh, like every shape um, I spent probably eight hours with my son building the mighty Missouri battleship it took forever it was like I, I seriously it would be easier to rebuild a car engine than to make that thing. The other one we did was an M1 Abrams tank. And um, that one was equally hard. And then, of course, dropped it one time. Boom, it's all gone. It's like hours of work, all done. But man, what amazing um, creativity from these simple things. And yet, you know, as diverse as they are in shapes and sizes and colors, they're made to be connected, right? All of them the same. Every one of them has this bumps and holes and made to be connected together. And uh, this is is you and me. Uh, God made us to be fit together like this. We were never meant to be on our own. Just a little Lego by itself. Just never meant to be on our own. We were meant and created to fit together. And, um, and I'm going to do this next part for those of you who might be newer to the faith and newer to the Bible. It's like kind of a little backstory to community and, and how we were made. It's like in Genesis 2, we realized God created man to perfectly fit together. And there was two Legos at the beginning, right? Adam and Eve. And God made them in in a state of perfection to love each other selflessly and they fit perfectly in a way that maximized their satisfaction of their love and contentment. It's just like absolute perfection. That's how he made us. And he made us that way so that we could corporately, as a as a group, display what God is like. He he made us in his image, not just as individuals, and he did, but also he was creating a, a humanity that would reflect the vastness of his majesty and his glory like that's that's what God he created this endless possibility of size and shapes and colors and and diversity and uniqueness to put together to to reflect the greatness of God that that was the original design we were but we were created to connect and again for those of you who are newer to the faith Genesis 3 happened and and selfishness and pride and and power struggles entered in, and, and all of a sudden, these don't fit anymore, you know? Um, power struggles in marriage between Adam and Eve, and, and try to fit, but, but you know, realizing it doesn't fit perfectly, and it's, love is hard, and, and you realize that brothers don't get along, and so Cain kills Abel, and, and in the first six chapters of the Bible, things get so bad that God basically has to wipe out all of humanity, and starts with eight Legos again, to, to rebuild humanity. Um... That's that. That's what's happened. This beautiful creation, meant to connect together, is has been um, has been tainted and, and destroyed and uh, twisted. You know, it's compounded um, in terms of the difficulty of it. And this is part of the, the foundation or the backstory. Is uh, in, in Genesis chapter eleven. And, and bear with me. This has everything to do with Acts. Okay. Genesis 11, uh, mankind builds this structure um, called the Tower of Babel, and it is a monument to the greatness of mankind, and to the unity of mankind, and to the prowess of mankind. And God looks down and realizes there's just a massive sin. Remember what he does. What he does at that point, and that's why they call it the Tower of Babel, is he confuses all the languages which is where all the languages originally come from. It's like, so people couldn't understand each other. They couldn't talk to each other. So, so they were confused and so further set apart. So you have people as individuals that don't fit together anymore. And then you have the people groups that go out and they don't fit together anymore. And you realize the whole thing is disjointed, fragmented, and frustrated. That's what happened. And that's, that explains our world. And that is a vivid, accurate um, backstory to why things are the way they are. Because people are screwed up. They don't fit together very well anymore. In fact, I saw a rather humorous T-shirt the other day at my son's school. This guy was uh, waiting for his kids, and he had this black T-shirt with white lettering. It says, "I used to be a people person." Next line, but people ruined it. <laughs> right? Huh? Pretty true. It's like I used to be a people person, but then I got to know people, and they ruined it. And he realized, man, people don't fit together very well. And um, this explains. This is the backstory. Um, This is why the world is the way it is. But at the same time, what I want us to see is that crucial and central to the work of the cross was for Jesus to bring that back together again. He came just not to save your individual soul. He did, but he came to save you in a community, as a people, as a family called a church. He, He bled and died for the church, for his family, for his people. To create this community, this grand Lego set, that once again um, magnified the greatness of, of, of who God is. That's, that's what he came to do. He redeemed us for that purpose. He cleansed us by his, uh, by his sacrifice so that we'd actually be fit for the family, so that we could be inhabited by the Spirit of God. Of course, Jesus is also a model, or he is a, someone we can look to who lived out a perfect community. Um, what it takes but, and the reason I, 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 I lay this out this way is because it's very, very important for us to understand something, um, lest we go way off kilter, that we as people do not generate Christian family. You get, get that? We do not create family. That's God's work. Any attempt or thought on our part that we can create family misses the whole point that God is the one who laid the foundation for community, which means all the resources necessary for us to actually experience family life that was meant to be is already here. We simply embrace by faith and then nurture it and practice it. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. We do not create it. We simply nurture what God is already doing by his spirit. That's what we do. We, we join his great work. Otherwise, we end up in a whole pit of legalism if we go the opposite direction. God has already created a community. He's already created a body. He's already created a family. He's given us a spirit that inclines us to one another. Like deep down, if you have the spirit of God in your life and you are a new creature in Christ, there is a deep yearning and a hunger to be with other Christian people. And you know know why that's the case? Because people congregate around what they prize the most. I've heard stories of people who have, you know, classic Mustangs all getting together to camp together. What brings them together? They love Mustangs. Now, maybe there's a Camaro counterpart. I don't know. Um, people gather around Jeeps. They go up the Rubicon. They gather around all kinds of different things that they deem important and valuable. The Christian church gathers around that which is, that is the true church, gathers around what is, what is supremely valuable to it. Namely, Christ. Like Church is not about getting together to celebrate a tradition. It's to come together with like-minded people who love Jesus. That's, he's the commonality that brings everything together. That's, 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 that's the center of family, Christ. He's the one who creates it, and he's the one who is the center of it. Okay, so I, I, I hope that's clear. The good news in all of that, if you're a believer, you already have it in your heart to be a family member. You already are a family member. Question is: Are you nurturing it? Are we nurturing it as a community? So that's the foundation of Christian community. Now let me switch over to the second part, which I'm going to call the fight for Christian community. Uh, if you're a Christian in here, you love Christ, you trust in the cross for the salvation of your soul. Then you have the Spirit of God in you, which gave you a new heart. It gave you love. And that love is an inclination to love another person selflessly. That's already there. But we're also told that we still carry around within our being this thing called the flesh, which moves in the opposite direction. It is is that thing in us responsible for all of those self-words, self-survival, self-centered, self-sufficiency, all of those things which which pull in the opposite direction of true love. So we realize we have the spirit in us, the new life in us, but there still is this attachment of the flesh, which means to love, truly love is going to be a fight to, to strive for and to nurture Christian community by faith is going to be a fight of faith. It's not going to be easy. That's that's the basic layout of um, the fact that we're still in transition between um, the old world and the w- new world to come. So what does that fight look like? And here, um, this comes from reflections upon on, uh, Acts chapter 2. Here's the text. Um, and you see certain things rise out of, of this text um, that this early community experienced now, in one sense, these are fruits of the Spirit. Um, it's a Spirit-filled community that does these things. At the same time, I think the Bible insists that while something is a fruit of the Spirit, it is also something that must be nurtured and practiced by the person who has the Spirit in them. It's not just be passive and, and hope that somehow love is going to sprout in your life. It's to recognize God has put love in my heart, Now I need to practice it. All right? Those two always have to go together. So there's a sense in which we ought to strive for, practicing certain things, certain characteristics of this text, of this ancient church, just freshly breathed on by the Spirit of God. Listen to this. And many of you are familiar with this text. Um, some of you may be not so familiar, but here's, here, here it is. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed... Um, All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all that had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Man, I would love to be a part of a church like that. So do. It's like, this is perfect. Of course, that chapter 5 tells us it wasn't so perfect, and chapter 7 tells us it wasn't so perfect. But right here is a pretty amazing vision of a church. And I'll tell you, if you ever find a church like this, go to it. The problem is that you have to become a church like this, right? You can become a church like this. By the way, before I go on, I, I, I failed to say something. It's interesting that in the opening chapters of Acts, there's this thing that people are afraid of and kind of think is somewhat freakish unless you happen to be a Pentecostal and that is people start speaking in tongues right like uh, the spirit comes down and all of a sudden the apostles are preaching and they're preaching in various tongues and people start hearing the one message in their own distinctive languages I want to tell you, I, I don't think that's a freakish or an accidental thing. I think what that is is a reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel when God separated out the people and confused the languages now in, in kind of symbolic way, saying, listen, one message is going to be heard by all peoples and they're going to be made one. It's like that that's what God is doing. That's the, it's the significance of it. They're hearing the message, they're being drawn together as one. And this is what they're experiencing um, right here. And one of the things that, that I think is an absolute essential ingredient to true family life, um, biblical community, what it means to be a family of, of Jesus is time. That comes to, in in my reflections upon this, they spent a lot of time together or length of time. Length of time. Look at the underlined sections here. It says that they devoted, and the sense of the word in the present tense is to continually devote oneself to. It wasn't a one-time thing, but to continually do it. Um, They devoted themselves to a number of things, some of which we talked about already, parts of a vision of what a church a good healthy church should be one of course is worship I mean the whole idea of breaking bread and praying and later on it says that they were praising God in the temple I mean that's all that's worship of prayers and and breaking of this bread together in celebration of the cross and then praising God in the temple that's worship You have education here because it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is, they continually sat at their feet and listened. They wanted to hear how the gospel worked to free them in their lives and marriages and families. So you have those two pieces. But look what else they devoted themselves continually to. The fellowship. Like the being together and the common purpose that they shared in Christ. Verse 44, it says, all who believed were together. All the believers gathered it says in verse 46, day by, they, they did it every day. This was a daily discipline for them. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. Here you have them gathering at the temple, which is the large venue, like a mega church. And then you have them um, gathering in fall, small venues, like a life group or a home group. It's like big and small, but it happened daily. They just spent time together because they prized the same center, namely Jesus Christ. There there's I know you know this, you know this in your marriage and you know this in your family. But it's no different than in church. It's that where there's no time, there's no intimacy, and there's no very little trust and there's very little understanding of who one another is or appreciation for how God's grace is working in each and every person that edifies one another as we share our stories of God's work in our life. It takes time. We live in a busy culture have a lot of stuff going on. You guys are taking your kids to soccer and baseball and cheerleading and whatever else. And, and in the busyness of life, oftentimes the thing that's um, squeezed out is time spent with other believers. And I just want to say that that is a massive mistake. I mean, this, this family life is like an organism that helps us all grow on the positive side, but it also helps us to endure because, as Ron Marlette said in the opening parts of of his announcements, like people go through hard times and they need people to lean on and who are they gonna lean on? Where they, they need a family around them. That's how 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 important family is, but family does not happen without time. Without time you don't know people. Without knowing people, it's very difficult to love them with wisdom and with understanding. Time. Who do you spend time with? Do you spend enough time locking into other believers? And I don't mean this to guilt anybody, but listen, if you're the last one here and the first one to leave and you don't have other Christian groups of fellowship, then you're kind of, in one sense, missing the point. Worship is a communal enterprise where we gather around Christ and we get to know each other. So my encouragement to you on this kind of point number one. Um, of what we see this integral ingredient of time it's like linger linger sometimes after a service and say hey I just want to hear somebody's story get to know them a little bit maybe you won't get to know much but you'll know something or join a life group or invite somebody new over to your house or if you go family camping next year find two or three other people who don't have someone to go with and rent a cabin together someone did that it was awesome Right? Just there's so many different ways. It doesn't have to be in here. Nor am I suggesting that you spend time with every single person in this room. That is physically impossible. But family, are you invested? Is there time being spent on those crucial relationships? The early church had time. Two, another thing you see in this, um, another Oh, by the way, this is a great quote. i would throw, throw it to you. This is, uh, this is Eugene Peterson. He got it just right on when he says, we cannot nurture the life of spirit while holding a stopwatch, right? Half hour. I got half hour. Let's commune. Boom, done. Okay, leave. Doesn't work like that, does it? Two, enduring effort. Like it takes effort. And that um, I take from the word self-devoted, um, it literally means to continually persevere in. You know, the whole word persevere implies that it's not always easy. We never speak of perseverance as something we absolutely enjoy. Uh, I persevered through the 49ers game. Uh, although the, I suppose that's a bad one. There are some <laughs> 49ers games you persevere through. But, Or I persevered in eating my favorite banana split. Oh, that's a person who so hard, you know? We don't do that. So the idea is it's not always easy. It's, like I said, I used to be a people person, and um, then I met people, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not always easy, both in terms of busyness, but also just in terms of, you know, we're just, we're all in transition. We're broken, and we're being mended. And, and so we're going to bump into each other, and you know this, I know this. Some of you in here are hurt because of this right now because you know that there's a lot of brokenness in this church family. So what do you do? Well, that's where the persistence comes in, you know? Hey, I'm gonna continue. I'm gonna spend time and I'm gonna continue and persist in these relationships with these people. So I get to know them, get to understand them, get to understand their shape and learn how to be compassionate with them. Um, Longevity. And I'll tell you, just to be Perfectly honest, this is something that I, I God is teaching me um, and has in the past and continues to. Is this just this whole idea of perseverance in, in relationships? Uh, actually, my, my daughter reminded me of this um, uh, This week. She was facing a big problem at some point, and um, and we were in the car and driving home, and I asked her the question. I said, All right, Allie, it's a huge problem, huge issue. How do you eat an elephant? And she didn't. She never heard the, the proverb. And it wasn't original to me. It's from somebody else. How do you eat an elephant? She's like, from the butt? I don't know. <laughs> now that's actually what she said. And I'm like, no, that's not the point. And I'm like, listen, you just you eat it one bite at a time. You just just bite. And I know it's a gruesome, gruesome graphic, you know, proverb. But the idea is you just keep going. And pretty soon you realize it's gone. You just persevere. So, you know. Are personalities difficult? Yes. Some parts of my personality are difficult. But to say, hey, I'm persevere, you know, I just, I'm going to continue to take one bite at a time, you know, Dan Deckard, just pretty soon I'll get this guy and I'll love this guy, you know, or each other. So it's like to love people, like I said, is a fight sometimes. But just to take a nibble at a time, just a little bit at a time, just continue to persevere. And, and, and that, that that will pay off. We'll discover riches in each other's lives. But it's not easy. As I said, love is a fight. They persevered. Three, grace or generosity or just a gracious spirit. That's another thing that's come screaming out of this church full of the spirit of God. Um, I'm not going to read it all again. But you just, you get all this sense there, like they're, they're selling their possessions and the belongings and they're giving it out to people who, who who have need. It says in verse 46 that they received food with glad and generous hearts. This, the idea is that people um, that, that, that were alive with the spirit of God cherished people over their possessions and were willing to sell and share in order to help them. That's, there was a gracious spirit about the church and um and that is one one sign of of the spirit's habitation in a church is that it is generous. Generous. Now, does that mean that we have to um sell everybody sell everything and we're gonna share it? It's like no. In the earlier point, does it mean we have to actually meet with each other daily because that's what they did? It's like the answer is is no. Just for those of you it's like kind of interpretation side point here is that Acts is a is a is a is a narrative, and this is what um, interpreters call descriptive literature, not prescriptive literature. A descriptive literature is just telling you what happened; it's not implying a rule. Um, prescriptive literature, like when Paul says, you know, you shouldn't murder, that's prescription. He's telling us what not to do. This is not telling us that we have to meet every day, and it's not telling us we have to sell all we do. And neither of those two things were replicated in the early church, nor are they explicitly commanded in any of the other New Testament documents. This is just what happened there. But the timeless piece of it, the principle to be taken from it, is that they were gracious and generous with each other. And it's something that the Spirit does in us, but it's also something we practice. And we become more generous and more gracious as we practice generosity and as we practice graciousness. But I want to take it one step further because this is looking at it in a materialistic or financial way. The picture that emerges from the, let's say, the opening 13, 14 chapters of Acts is of a community that's not only materially generous, but also spiritually and relationally generous. Uh, the people who gathered together in this environment, many of them were from all over the world, at least the world back then. You had Hellenistic Jews, which were Jews that came from Greece to celebrate. Pentecost. You had Jews from Rome who spoke Latin who came into Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. You had Jews from the east who had come in from Babylon and other places to celebrate Pentecost. And you had Jews living in Jerusalem. So and all these different little nation, national subgroups of Jewish people oftentimes didn't see eye to eye. You get that sense in the later chapters. They, they didn't always see eye to eye and yet here they are devoting themselves to each other. As if those old dividing lines didn't, work, didn't, didn't matter anymore. There was, there was a gracious spirit that we center ourselves on Christ, not on our differences. And, um, and they were inclusive and they were welcoming. That's, that's the kind of community that I think is pictured. I mean, they included um, the Samaritan people, considered to be spiritual inferior people, uh, rejects. Um, you find the early church embracing them as brothers and then later Gentiles or non-Jewish people. Even the Apostle Paul, after an introduction, was embraced into the community even though he killed people. You get the sense there's just a, there's an openness, there's a welcoming, there's a, um, a, a gracious, inclusive spirit in the church. And, and, and that is a sign of the spirit and it's also something to be practiced. That is, in the negative, it means they weren't judgmental. One of the biggest killers of both love and community life is the spirit of condemnation that oftentimes people carry with them when they categorize or pigeonhole somebody else in the church, usually over something negative, and that it impedes their ability to to rejoice, or to show common grace, kindness, or patience. And when people have that, oftentimes unstated, unarticulated sense of judgment over another, it impedes their ability to love, and it starts to dry out the community life. Which is one of the reasons I think Jesus is just so adamantly opposed to self-righteousness in that judgmental spirit. Just kills what he's trying to do, throwing a wet blanket on it. Have you seen it? Experienced it? Some I, I, I have, and I said some in this room probably have been bit hard by by a judgmental spirit in your past. And you realize that there was just no love there. And that has to be something that, that we uh, intentionally repent of and want to see wiped out. So that the church is a safe place where people are not condemned. Discernment and judgmental spirit, two very different things. Discerning right and wrong versus a judgmental spirit, two very different things discerning spirit is good, judgmental spirit evil and um, toxic to God's people and community. I know, um, as I said, all of these things that I'm telling you, I, I struggle at times with practicing. But it's something that I know that I should. It's something I know and you know that the Spirit of God has given us to do. And um, I can tell you the times that I have, I have sustained a judgmental spirit, it really hurt my relationships. Uh, probably the most um, vivid one in my memory is my first year on the college of the master's college I was given four roommates and um, most know my story so it's kind of old now but fresh my last day on Camp Pendleton was my first day in college so I went from fatigues to college dress boy did I feel awkward and um, and I met my four roommates, and, and very quickly I realized that one of them was a cynic. That is, he, 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 he really questioned whether he believed in God. And I'm thinking, what? Well, why are you here? You know, I'm passionate about learning, passionate about school. i had had this new kind of conversion experience. I wanted to learn about Jesus and worship him. But this guy, the cynic, is kind of, well, I don't have time for this. And the second guy I met was older um, and he, he would come back at the end of the night, and he, I would smell alcohol in his breath, which was f- strictly forbidden on campus. So I just thought, man, what are you doing here? Like, closet alcoholic? You're supposed to be, like, here studying about Jesus. And then there was a third guy from Redondo Beach, and uh, he, uh, he, was, he was a slob, and I, and I just thought of him as a lazy slob. Like, seriously, what are you doing here in college? And those are three forms of my conclusion about these three roommates. And I really didn't spend time with them because of those conclusions. Now, let me just tell you how gracious God is. Because God forced me, because they were my roommates, to actually have to spend time with them. And once the, the Holy Spirit took my judgmental, sinful, twisted heart and exposed me to the realities of who they really were and their struggles, I just realized that I was a I do not like myself. The the cynic it's an 18-year-old guy, found out his parents were two very, very well-established Christians in the Christian community, and they were in the middle of a bitter divorce. And here's this 18-year-old kid going, I don't know if I can believe this stuff anymore. And I'm like, I judged you, you know? And then my heart, one, one, felt repentant, but I also felt a sense of compassion for him because I'm like, wow, I don't know how I would do in that circumstance. I met guy number two. The guy came back with alcohol in his breath and realized he was a missionary son and his, his missionary father was an abusive person. And he told me stories and I realized I judged you falsely. I mean, I don't know if I would be doing much better if I were in your situation. And I felt compassion for him. And if I had been in his shoes, I don't know if I would have done any better. Guy number three from Redondo Beach, and this is all true story. Um, I found out when I actually, the Holy Spirit Shoved my face into his life. Found out he was a brand new believer. You know, surfer. Didn't have Christian parents. Didn't have a, 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 um, a disciplined upbringing. So he's just trying to make it by. Didn't, didn't last after the first year. And, um, and I heard a story and I just realized, man, there's, like, there's so much grace here. I mean, and there, then there's me. My struggle is probably even worse. Yeah, I'm the self-righteous, judgmental guy that Jesus pretty much says, well, if you're going to judge others, watch out. All that to say, you see how it it kills, and we have to be very, very careful about our attitudes, and to take the time to get to know a person well enough to know, oh, okay, that's your struggle. I'm not going to condemn you for that struggle, because Jesus doesn't condemn you, you trust him, you're following him, or at least trying to, and... I want to be with you, not against you, and I don't want to put a blanket over you as if somehow you're inferior. That's. kills the spirit, you know? Just kills it. Kills it in me. And without that gracious atmosphere, gracious with each other, there will never be openness and honesty, and and that's something else that's implied. It's not explicit. But you remember when it says that they, they were selling and their stuff and giving it to others? The last statement there, as they had need or as any had need, which meant it was a safe enough place where someone could say, hey, I, I rent check, um, not going to make it. Um, and they were to be able to be open and honest enough without people looking down on them as so somehow they're a financial failure. You should have went to college. You should work harder. There just wasn't that kind of judgmental spirit there so people could be open and honest with who they were. And that, that is another feature or facet of, of I think community life and something that we have to practice. I, I know it's difficult to open up to someone you don't know very well, but you know, that's where the time comes in. Spend some time. Persevere, get to know, be gracious with them, and over time God's going to forge a trust and a relationship that's, you know, going to bring you together. And it's it's going to be a work of god and I you know, pray that you know the stick you know because god's creating in his church something beautiful something wonderful it's what he he died for i was thinking about the question i sat here this morning was praying for us and, and I, I looked at that cross back here and i thought hmm how hard did jesus fight for community and how hard did he fight for love and um when people were attacking him and injuring him and slandering him. And he never once reacted or responded in kind. He just simply said things like, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Like, he was all in. Like, he died for community. He died to make us a family. That, that means it's pretty dang important. If it was that important for him, then it should be important for every one of us but it takes every single person owning this and investing in this kind of community life. One person can't do it. It may start with one person, but it takes every individual. And I just want to close with this. Um, we have this saying that we use sometimes around my house, and sometimes I think we say it in church staff meetings and stuff, and, and the, the saying is, you know, well, when do you want to pull the trigger on that? Now, I don't know. It's probably a military thing. I don't know. But it's you basically, as soon as you pull the trigger what comes out you have no control of, right? And um, I've used it in terms of house projects. It's like, well, when are we going to pull the trigger on the remodel of the bathroom that so desperately needs it? And um, as, as someone who's, who realizes, wow, as soon as I pull the trigger and you hit that first tile, you know what I'm talking about, guys? <laughs> and you smash the first tile, you're like, well, now I'm screwed. Now. <laughs> I have, to, like, I'm, this is a three-month project now, and I'm, if, if I don't do this, my wife's going to be on me to get this done because I have people coming over for Christmas and Thanksgiving and the toilet isn't even on there, you know? So, as soon as you pull the trigger, you're, like, all in, right? It's, like, it's just like, seriously, I am, a, I, once I pull the trigger, I'm all in. But getting myself to pull the trigger is kind of like, oh, here we go, and then boom, next thing you know, you're all in and you're up to your eyeballs in dust. When it comes to community life, each of us in some way, shape, or form, as the spirit has called you, you gotta pull that trigger. Count the cost and say, okay, this is that important. Pull the trigger. Whatever that is. That could be a group, it could be having people over at your house, it could be, I don't know, endless possibilities, just like Legos, endless possibilities. But don't be afraid, at some point you have to like hit the tile and go, okay this is what I know he wants me to do and I'm going to stop procrastinating and I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you um, to pull the trigger. All right? What God wants you to do. If you're already doing it, then just keep going. If you're in the middle of the remodel job, just keep going. You don't need to pull another trigger. But if you're on the sidelines and you're not engaged in some way investing in your family or connecting, time to hit that tile and let it go. Lord, I pray for our church family. I I ask in these days that you would do something amazing. I ask that you would humble us. I ask that you would bring us to a place of desperation, of knowing what you've called us to and looking to the cross and looking to the spirit to give us the power and the energy to do that which is hard, but that which is glorious. We pray for um, your spirit to break down walls. We pray for your spirit to break down judgmental spirits. We pray for your spirit to break hardened hearts. We pray that you would break us of that selfish, self-sufficient attitude we often carry with us, and just remind us again that that um, gosh, we are we are nothing without Christ, and and everything with Christ and with each other. So. Um, work in our, our family, work in our church family, that you, at the end of the day, might be magnified in the way we love each other, in Christ's name.